You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Listen to me. Listen. Stop. Stop. I need to know what is happening right now. Okay, okay, you know what? Moving too fast. Bottom line, are you in or are you out? What are you talking, in or out or what? Mm-mm, no time for questions, just action. In or out. Okay, well then I'm out. I'm sorry, Jet, actually you're already in. Okay, then why would you ask me? Because I thought you would go, I'm in, Bob, and we would have had a really cool moment, but uh, you kind of ruined the whole thing. Welcome, everyone, to episode 36 of the Writer's Block Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Laurie, and normally I do have my co-host here, Jess Navarez, but she's actually out today. She's working the uh, Stars game for Game 7, so she has more important things to do. Uh, when duty calls, Jess is always on it, but you can follow me on Twitter at Brandon is right. That's W-R-I-T-E, and she is, of course, at, at Jess Navarez underscore. We can't forget to, to plug her Twitter handle because that's also important as well. But like I mentioned, she's off. She's on on Star's duty, but we need her backup. We need somebody to come in and be the Cooper Rush of this. And some might say he resembles Trent Zeke and Cooper Rush uh, of the Cowboys a little bit. It is David Howman. Once again, he is back from his vacation. You can follow him on Twitter at, at DH44 underscore. Uh, Howman, you absolutely killed the pre-draft process. You wrote a ton of scouting reports for a lot of prospects, actually, that the Cowboys drafted. Um, but some just even just throw it out there for fans to really get acclimated to when the season starts they see the names they they remember what you said about them so unfortunately though you weren't able to watch the draft because you took a quick little vacation uh but for good reason uh the end of it was certainly uh pretty magical so tell everybody kind of what happened and what the vacation was about yeah so i was uh i, I took a, a two week long trip to uh to israel and it was a really great experience had a lot of fun there and it was my first time ever visiting Israel. So that was really great to see. But um, by far the best part was at the very end, getting the opportunity to propose to my longtime girlfriend. She said yes, which was the best part. Um, it would have been devastating if she had said no. So I was very happy that uh, that I got that commitment, long-term commitment. And um, so that was a really exciting time just in general, but especially doing it in a beautiful place like Israel. Um, and it was something that was planned out, you know, months in advance. And I didn't realize until close to the end of the regular season that it was happening during the draft. And I was kind of like, well, should we still go on the trip? Like how bad, like how bad do I want to see this draft? Um, but obviously it was absolutely worth it. Um, you know, one of the few things that I would miss the draft for, but definitely worth it. And it's something that if she said no, uh, it would have been a long plane ride home. Uh, probably would have had to adjust the seat placement uh, for, for the plane, but it, everything works out the way it's supposed to. And of course, everybody here at BTB, the BTP, BTB family is happy for you. And you mentioned that the draft was going on and you were telling me a little bit beforehand about it really was tough with the time change and everything to try and watch the draft. You, you tried, but it was just kind of just a little bit more difficult than you expected. Yeah, I woke up at what was 3 a.m. for my time. 
and was watching the draft just just for the first round. I didn't didn't try to wake up for the second and third round. Wasn't that committed, but uh, I, I watched probably like the first half of the first round, and then I fell asleep. So I didn't even get to see the Cowboys go up and make their pick. I had to find out about it when I actually woke up. But when I did and I saw that the Cowboys got Mozzie Smith, I was very excited, and it almost felt like I was actually there getting to watch it, um, even though I was asleep. So you're, you're talking about, you know, you're kind of coming to the draft a little bit late. Everybody's watching in real time. You're kind of catching up. But I think sometimes that can actually be a good thing because then you can digest things a little bit more instead of like that instant reaction. So overall, I know you wrote a few things about it on Twitter and, of course, at BTB about just your initial impression of the draft class as a whole. But where does it stack to you with regards to previous drafts in the Mike McCarthy era? Is there a player or two that stands out that was sort of a surprise pick or maybe your favorite pick overall? Um, Well, overall, I liked the draft. Um, I think probably just stacking it up against the different draft classes that we've had in the Mike McCarthy era, I would probably say it's the worst, but more so just because the Cowboys have had some really good draft classes since he's been the head coach. Yeah. Um, I think that's just a testament to how well they've been drafting lately. Um, there were there were a couple of picks that kind of not necessarily surprised me, but just wouldn't have been the direction that I would have gone, um, such as uh, Luke Schoonmaker out of Michigan, um, Overshone out of Texas, both players that I really like, and I'm sure that they're going to do really well in Dallas, but just not who I would have had my eyes on at that point, um, which is always a kind of – good situation to be in where you don't hate the pick. You just didn't necessarily expect it. Right. Um, probably my favorite pick was uh, Viliami Fihoko out yeah. of Santa Jose State. He was someone I was just a big fan of in the pre-draft process. And actually, it was funny, at the moment that that pick happened, um, for me, I was sitting down for dinner, and we were getting ready to have our meal served. And I was, like, looking at, at – the Cowboys were on the clock and I was waiting for it to update before I put my phone away and it came up with Fihoko's name and I was just so excited and it turned out the meal ended up being really great too so it was just a perfect moment where I I got one of my draft crushes and then had a great meal immediately after so that was a great time really loved the Deuce Vaughn pick too especially being in the sixth round Um, he's just a really fun player and then you know watching all the videos of his dad being able to call him and the reaction he had when the Cowboys were able to draft his son. Really, really cool moment. I, I think that this draft, how I summed it up in the moment, and of course, RJ and I, we, we spent all of draft weekend. And if anybody wants to go back and watch our reactions to a lot of the picks, the Deuce Vaughn one, specifically when we were able to see, you know, his dad get the call that, you know, of course they were going to draft Deuce. Like our instant reactions to that were, were pretty awesome and something that I'll always remember. But I remember at the end, RJ's like, how would you summarize this draft class? And I think the way I was able to to digest it was this draft class might not be flashy. It's probably the safest draft class out of all the, when you think of a Kelvin Joseph and Nashawn Wright, all these sort of swings. And you hope that the traits kind of match the type of player and expectation, but it's not really panned out. But a lot of these players that the Cowboys drafted, they're safe picks. So I would have put it at like, maybe it's a higher floor than the majority of the players that the Cowboys have drafted, but you don't know where the ceiling is. The ceiling might already be at at its peak with like somebody like a Mozzie Smith. You know, maybe he's just going to be that nose technique where he clogs up the run and maybe doesn't have that sort of pass rush ability that he says he can and develop into, but maybe it just doesn't happen for him. But he's still going to be a really good player. So I think when the Cowboys have such a great roster like they already do, 
you just drafted a lot of role players to kind of fill and be complimentary and just really make sure that, you know, they're going to be getting quality reps, develop into good guys down the line, but you want to make sure that you get the starters like a Brandon Cooks, a Stephon Gilmore, the reps because you traded for him. You gave up all these assets. You need to see them have the production. So I think overall it was just a safe draft. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that kind of reflects where the Cowboys are too. I mean, two straight 12-win seasons and – they're, they're not necessarily looking to completely reshape their roster. They're just looking to fill the few holes that they have and, and get right back to where they were and go a step further. Um, I also loved the Mozzie Smith pick. I, I didn't even really talk about that too much because I, I loved so many of the other guys later on. But, I mean, the last few years I've been, you know, every single draft, it's like I really wanted the Cowboys to invest heavily in a defensive tackle. You know, a couple years ago it was Christian Barmore. Last year it was Jordan Davis. Um, and the Cowboys just don't draft defensive tackles in the first round. They haven't done it since, uh, I think, 1993. And then they broke that streak with Mozzie Smith, and it was exciting. And, of course, it was it was the draft where I didn't even get to see it happen live, <laughs> where they actually did it. Um, and Mozzie Smith was a guy that I was really excited about early on and tried to not get too excited because I didn't want to get my hopes up. Um, so seeing that the Cowboys actually broke that streak and they took Mozzie Smith – Really, really excited about that. I think he's going to be a great fit in this this defense, and I think there's definitely some potential there to become more of a pass rusher just based on how Michigan used him relative to what he'll do in Dan Quinn's scheme. Um, but even if, like you said, even if he doesn't really become a great pass rusher, they need run stoppers. That's, that was their biggest issue defensively last year, and he gives you exactly that. Well, with a lot of the draft stuff, a lot of the podcasts have covered it. Of course, we did it with our live stream. So if anybody wants to go check out the podcast, of course, Talking the Draft, which is now back to Talking the Star. I know they did a lot of stuff. Uh, and of course, Halman, like I said, all the write-ups. So if you guys want to go back, take a look at all that. It's definitely worth the read and definitely have sort of in your favorites tab when the season starts so that you can see uh, if he was right or wrong about his evaluation. And then, you know, heading forward, if, if he's right, then that's awesome. You could trust him as a reliable source. So that's always a good thing. But in honor of Howman's recent commitment, um, and my, I myself am a married man, so with wedding season around the corner, I was starting to think about, well, now is the time of year where we start hearing things from the Cowboys and think about players, think about the season now that the schedule is finally, finally released. We want to make some sort of commitment. We already know that we're lifelong fans. We're committed to the team. But certain things that happen season to season, there's things you want to commit to. There's things you really need to see a little bit more or are unsure of. So we're going to go through a few things between Howman and I and see. We're going to go a little bit more positive. We're going to do two positives and a negative uh, for each of us because we don't want to be too negative and too uh, down on the season before it even starts. So with that in mind, Howman, we'll start off on the positive note. What is your first commitment you're able to sort of give to the Cowboys? It could be Leighton Vander Esch. You could throw everybody for a loop and, and reverse what you did last year. But but who's your first commitment uh, for the 2023 season? Well, I mean, at this point, I'm, I'm committed to Leighton Vander Esch for life. So <laughs> that that goes unsaid, I think. Um, I think one thing that one, one storyline that I, I'm very committed to is the idea that the, the significant moves that they made on offense are going to pay off. And that's, you know, trading for Brandon Cooks. That's installing Mike McCarthy as the offensive play caller, bringing Brian Schottenheimer to kind of be the, the coordinator throughout the week. Um, and I just, I really think that the, some of the ideas that Mike McCarthy is bringing, namely being one that is going to stretch defenses more vertically and they're not going to have a bunch of these like 
short stop routes that we constantly saw under Kellen Moore, which don't get me wrong, Kellen Moore did some really great things and he had some very efficient offenses when Dak Prescott was actually on the field. He was a very good play caller. I think he's going to do great with the Chargers. But if there was one constant criticism of him, it was he was always calling these routes that would, would have his receivers stop, just turn back to the ball, and it became very easy for defenses to figure that out. I think Mike McCarthy and his experience kind of changes that up. It makes it harder for defenses to really key in on what you're going to do. Uh, and then bringing in a guy like Brandon Cooks is someone who's just a really reliable route runner, similar to Amari Cooper. Um, he's got that kind of speed to where he can stretch defenses more vertically. Um, and I just think that plays so much into what Dak Prescott has had great success with, both when Michael Gallup was, you know, fully healthy and at, at 100%, and when Amari Cooper was out there, you know, breaking defensive backs' ankles regularly. <laughs> and, I mean, just two years ago, we saw that, and they, the offense was incredible, and Dak Prescott was playing out of his mind. Um, so I think that they're probably, you know, going to get back to a little bit more of that with some added creativity here just because the offense is going to, evolve and take a next step under a new play caller i i agree i think that i was thinking about this today trying to figure out where i want to go and you mentioned the offseason additions to me i'm i'm happy with it because when you look at the midseason trades that they wanted to do you know they wanted to acquire brandon cooks at the time and you don't know how the money would have worked out and everything but they waited a little bit longer they got him now before the season started and now you have an entire offseason to work Brandon Cooks into the offense. It could have been a situation where you get him midseason last year and it just doesn't really click. Maybe the Cowboys don't bring him back if they were able to kind of do something with the contract, um, if they just wanted to kind of maybe void the, the remaining year or so, make it a one-year deal. And we really don't know what that future could have looked like with Brandon Cooks, but now you get him in early. Now you're able to kind of put him in this offense, work with Dak all offseason. Um, you're able to put him around the other wide receivers like a CeeDee Lamb, a Jalen Tolbert, a Michael Gallup, where he is that veteran presence now in the locker room for them. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. CeeDee Lamb is still the number one guy. But to have somebody who's had all the success like Brandon Cooks has had, all the different play callers, and he's embraced this sort of trade person that he's become and he said for him it makes him unique in the way where he's been around so many offenses it's like he's he's seen almost everything when it comes to different play callers and different styles so I think it's going to be great and you also look at the Stefan Gilmore trade and it's somebody again who can be in the offseason with a Trayvon Diggs make sure his game is up to speed I think all the people that they acquired even like you said the transition from Mike McCarthy to uh from from Kellen Moore to Mike McCarthy, that didn't happen mid-season this year, where then now you're trying to pick up the pieces. You're doing it where there's a whole off-season of install, and I think that's going to pay dividends that people aren't really focusing on right now. Yeah, I'm really excited to see not only what the offense looks like, but just, I mean, you're going to have, your your head coach is going to be just so much more plugged in with what's happening on the offense. And I mean, for McCarthy, that's always been his calling card. Like, you know, in Green Bay, he always called the offense, except for one year where he gave up play calling to focus more on other things, and the offense got instantly terrible. He said, I'm never going to do that again. Uh, and, of course, he did that when he came to Dallas. Um, did that for a few years and then decided, you know what, I'm going to call plays again. So um, I think it'll be just very interesting to have the head coach just a little bit more plugged in now that he's actively, you know, calling plays. And, and we already have kind of heard a little bit about his relationship with Dak Prescott, and it's a very – seems like it's a very strong relationship. So I think that lays a really good foundation for this offense to, to jump from there. This, uh, my positive 
similar to the wide receiver conversation, this is sort of a new, a new fire, a new passion where I've seen some things that have made things positive, willing to commit, willing to kind of go all in sort of the reverse Leighton Vander Esch, where I'm going to be super positive on this player. And if it doesn't turn out well, it's going to look bad in my, in my eyes. Uh, I'm going to commit to Jalen Tolbert. I think year two for him is going to be drastically different from what we saw in year one. And I look at a few things is that first off, when he was at the senior bowl, he spoke openly about how he was disappointed in himself, that he had a bad season. He mentioned that he understands that fans are calling him a bust. He understands that, that the narrative for him right now is basically saying that he should be off the team this season and shouldn't get that chance to develop. And he said, my job is to prove those people wrong. Like I'm in a position where I know where I need to be. I know my role. I know I made mistakes. He mentioned the offsides penalty that happened in green Bay and to me, when you're trying to fix a problem, you know, get better as a player, you need to admit where you're wrong. A big criticism right now with the playoffs uh, with, you know, basketball is very different from football. But the big criticism right now for Joel Embiid with the 76ers is that he's not owning up to his own mistakes, you know, saying that he's not uh, the problem and that, you know, it's a team thing. So to me, I look at Jalen Tolbert. He said all the right things this offseason. The other thing I also like is he's also been around Dak Prescott like all the time I see on social media, it's always him and Dak. And they're not just only working at the Dak yard. They're, they're doing all the off season work at the start, but they're also going to events together. I know Tolbert was at the stars game. I think uh, it was either mid season or, or before the playoffs. He was with Dak and a bunch of other offensive players. Um, he was most recently at the faith fight finish uh, foundation banquet that they had where Dak uh, was there with CD lamb, Michael Gallup and Jalen Tolbert. So, not only is he getting around Dak Prescott, but he's getting around the wide receivers as a whole because building that chemistry off the field is just as important as on the field. And again, remember, he's coming from a small school. It took him a long time to hit the ground running at South Alabama, where he started his freshman year with 60 yards, then went to 521, 1,085, and then over 1,400 yards as a senior. So we've seen him, and we have something to at least hang our hat on where maybe he just takes a little bit of time to adjust to wherever he's going next as his next transition going from high school to college and college to the pros. I'm not saying that he's going to have a season where he's for 800 yards, five or six touchdowns. If it's 400 yards, four touchdowns, um, you know, maybe he'll get a Cedric Wilson pass touchdown in there. I think that's all positive. It's a sign of improvement. And again, mentioning Cedric Wilson, this is what happened when he took that next step. He was hanging around Dak all that offseason prior, and, and he kept saying, I'm working with Dak. Dak kept saying, Cedric Wilson's my guy. And the chemistry was evident when they hit training camp, and look what happened in season. Cedric Wilson became a guy that got a big contract in Miami. So I'm buying and committing to Jalen Tober right now. I could have egg on my face at the end of the year, and I will fully accept it. We'll break off. We'll go our separate ways. But as of right now, I, I fully committed to what he's doing, not only on the field but also off the field. I'm right there with you on Jalen Tolbert. And I think you, you made a really good point about being willing to admit his own mistakes. And you were kind of kind of close to getting a really great reference in there in honor of, of Jess. I'll just go ahead and say it. It's, it's nice that he's able to say, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. There you go. <laughs> um, but it, but it, is, it is really good maturity from him. Just, you know, he, he had a very disappointing rookie year to be able to come out right after that and say like, I know I didn't live up to expectations. I have to be better. And then to not only say that, but follow through and, you know, be with Dak Prescott all the time, doing what he can to learn, you know, what Dak wants most out of a receiver. And I mean, I, I really don't even understand 
why he ended up being such a disappointment because all through training camp, you know, we kept on seeing these highlights where he would make these these impressive plays and and it seemed like he was doing well. And then they were talking about we're we're you know trying him at every single receiver spot because we think he can handle it. And then suddenly it's like, oh well, he might not even make the roster. Oh, he might be inactive for week one. Oh, we threw too much at him. And it, it just seemed like such a sudden reversal in the narrative around Jalen Tolbert. So I really I don't know what exactly happened there, um, but I, I know when he was coming out of South Alabama, just from having watched him, his college tape, he has real talent. And like you said about his time at South Alabama, it was a gradual improvement for him there. It makes sense that it would also be a gradual improvement, especially going from the quality of opponent he faced at South Alabama to suddenly being in the NFL, being playing against some really, really good defenses, especially in the NFC East. But he's in a good spot now, especially with, you know, Brandon Cooks coming in to where he doesn't have to be that guy, but he can also learn from someone like Cooks who has a whole lot of knowledge, having played in so many different offenses, having been in the league for so long. Um, and so there's there's not as much pressure. He's had more time to get to know Dak and, and get to know some of the other guys in this offense. I think that, like you said, he's not going to, you know, just come out of nowhere and have an incredible – you know, he's not going to make the Pro Bowl this year, probably, but um, I think he can show real growth. I can think he can show real improvement. I think this time next year, we're probably going to be talking about Jalen Tolbert is going to be a guy that we're going to rely on going forward. Now, do you think it had a lot to do with Kellen Moore's offense? Like, is the transition now to Mike McCarthy going to actually help his growth as he's trying to, like, take that next step? I think it's possible just because knowing Kellen Moore's offense – it's very different from most other NFL coordinators because more he he uses you know he like he uses concepts instead of like specific play calls, and that's something that is not to get like too much into the weeds of like actual play names and things like that. But like with Mike McCarthy being in a West Coast offense, it's all very very much spelled out for you, and you end up having a play call that's like twenty six words, and sometimes it takes every single second of the play clock just to get the players on the same page, but everyone once you hear that play call like you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing whereas with with Moore's offense sometimes it it could be a little bit vague because you're using only a couple of words to say like you're going to line up here you're going to run this route in conjunction with this other guy but also if it's this kind of coverage you break off this way um so it might not be as easy for a rookie to come in and just pick it up right away um, but then, of course, you also have to question how much is how much of the language is McCarthy even changing? So it could be a case of different language, easier to pick up, or it could be the same exact language, but Jalen Tolbert has been around for a whole year now. He might have a better grasp of it. So where is your non-commitment? What are you kind of avoiding, at least maybe until you see a little bit more from this player or something, or is it something that you just don't want to even – Touch, want to touch with a nine foot pole uh, similar to the Grinch uh, where it's just, you want to avoid it at all costs this season. My, my non-commitment um, is the tight end position. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and, and it's, it's not quite Grinch level. It's not that I'm not going to touch it with a 10 foot pole, but I'm definitely in wait and see mode with this tight end group. Yeah. Um, Cause as you know, I was one of the people, one of the very few people pounding the drum for tight end in the first round. I really wanted Dalton Kincaid. I would have been happy with um, with Luke Musgrave. I would have been happy with Sam Laporta, who 
uh, only went a few picks later, early in the second round to the Lions, and he's already been showing out in their in their rookie minicamp. And I like every time I log into Twitter, I see a Sam Laporta highlight, and I'm like, I told you guys. Sam well, and, and that's the thing. We did our mock draft. We were getting killed for it with him right. in the first round, and then all of a sudden, you hear the three names when the pick was coming in at 26. It was Mozzie Smith, Bergeron, and Sam Laporta. So clearly, yeah. and and Sam Laporta, it seems like was number one on their board. So again. Trust Talman in his evaluation. He knows a thing or two about the tight end conversation. So I'll let you continue. Um, but one of, one of the reasons I was so high on the tight end position, especially specifically on, on those kind of prospects, is just because we're starting to see that trend with the position where it's being treated more so as a pass catcher first and foremost, whereas for a very long time, tight end has been, you have to be able to block and you have to be able to you know run some routes, even though you don't run the kind of route tree that a receiver would have. Now it's kind of the opposite. A tight end, they're going to, in most offenses, they're going to be lining up out wide just as much as they will in line. They're going to have to run a more varied route tree. And so, you know, I look at guys like Travis Kelsey, um, you know, George Kittle, uh, Darren Waller before he was hurt. Like these are guys that are just difference makers in the pass game. And that's where the future is trending at that position. At least that's what I believe. I think that's why so many tight ends were drafted in the first 50 picks this year compared to previous drafts is that's the trend that's starting to emerge. Um, so I was really excited about the potential for that. Uh, but then in the second round, a lot of those guys were already off the board by the time the Cowboys got to their second pick. And so they go with Luke Studenmaker, who is very much similar in play style, even though he's much more athletic, but he's similar in play style to Jake Ferguson, who's a guy who he can he can be a really good blocker. He can be, you know, give you solid production as a as a pass catcher. But neither of them, and same for Peyton Hendershot, neither of them are those guys that are going to regularly be lining up out wide. Neither of them are going to be guys that will play like a Travis Kelsey in the sense of, like, you're going to have to ha- bring down a safety to guard them or maybe even line up a corner. They're, they're never going to be, like, one of your top pass-catching weapons. Um, so, for me, it's just kind of a little bit of disappointment that they weren't embracing that new trend with this position. But at the same time, you know, with, with this new offense, with McCarthy, we're going to see how is he specifically going to use his tight ends. Maybe – you know, having a duo of Ferguson and Screenmaker is going to be exactly what this offense needs, in which case, at that point, I would say, great, they made a great pick, and it worked out, and that's exactly what they were looking for. Um, But as of right now, I'm just waiting, and I'll see eventually. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. 
That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I, I, I was agreeing with you throughout the process where if you can get one of these generational type tight ends, and I think that they're not on the level of, of a Kyle Pitts, somebody who can do almost everything. He's an athletic freak. He has the size and everything. But when you look at what Michael Mayer, uh, Dalton Kincaid, Luke Musgrave, Sam Laporta even, what they were able to do at college, you could easily see how it translates now to the pro level with what you've seen with a Kittle and a Kelsey, like you mentioned. And Schoonmaker has flashes of it, but it's not to the level of the guys who were at the top. So like you were saying, you're not going to shoot down the idea if it turns out to be a great fit for Mike McCarthy's offense, if that's what he wants to do and he's a great fit, then that's awesome. But it's sort of like what you're saying, this transition to the modern tight end. He doesn't really fit that bill. And I think that maybe they see that in someone like a Peyton Hendershot. You know, if they wanted to replace Dalton Schultz, I think Schoonmaker is a, is a very good complement to what they lost in him. A little longer in the legs where he looks a little bit taller, but the 86 on him is going to be like a perfect fit. It's almost like a... Uh, it's like Schultz never left just seeing the things that he did in college, what he was able to do very similar to Schultz. But, you know, we saw Hendershot take the wheel route, you know, in Jacksonville for a touchdown. Maybe he's going to be the guy who they, they feel comfortable lining up on the outside, but it's an unknown. I mean, he's an undrafted free agent. Uh, Jake Ferguson was a fourth round pick. So you don't know with these guys. And I think that for fans, it was great to see. It's a great storyline if it works out for the two of them. But you have to remember they were taken where they were because of the flaws also attached to their name as well, not only the positive. And if they got a steal, that's awesome. That's great. But I think like we were saying, when you pass on these generational guys, it's sort of, okay, let's wait and see. And and you can't kind of go over the heels uh, for somebody like this right away. Right. And I think you hit the nail on the head too with just how it's so much of it is unknown with these guys because, I mean, Ferguson and Hendershot – were not high draft picks and they only have one year of NFL experience and neither of them, I mean, they both had flashes, but neither of them really got used that much. So now both of them are going to have to step up in terms of what their role is. And then with Schoonmaker, like in college, he really only has one year of being a real starter and and starter level production. And so now you're projecting him to the NFL and it's just through those, those are your top three guys at a position that is going to be of, of some level of importance. Um, we'll see just how much McCarthy leans on it, but um, there, there's just so much unknown and it. it's really hard to get a clear picture of what's actually going to happen there. Who's going to shake out as the number one guy who, how are they going to, to use those splits between those three guys? Um, so we'll find out, but I'm, I'm curious in finding out what your, negative is yeah it's it's sort of similar uh, I just want to mention even with the Jalen Tolbert comment I've also seen Jake Ferguson do a lot with Dak Prescott in the offseason too so maybe he's developing that rapport to be that next guy kind of like what you're talking about but my non-commitment and this is something that out of the draft we figured that this should have been addressed one way or the other we, there was talk of a plan but for right now I am not seeing the real vision with special teams at all and it's nothing to do – well, I I question a little bit with, with John Fossil and his method. Like, I don't know if this is really him or is it the entire front office, the coaching staff. We've seen some questionable decisions from John Fossil, of course, in the 2020 season against the Commanders and everything with the fake punt. Um, so it's like – I that started it for me. I said, well, yes, he's, he's a great coordinator. He's a great guy. But similar to when people were talking about Dan Quinn having too much of an influence on the draft where he takes his guys that don't really pan out – to well, well, is John Fossil kind of just playing around with some toys and just seeing what fits without kind of committing to something? So I was taking a look at it, and 
you know, Fossil has lost some of his guys on special teams this offseason. You know, Noah Brown left, Luke Gifford, Jake McQuaid, not re-signing Brett Maher, which I'll get to in a little bit, and then, of course, losing Cedric Wilson last season. All these guys played a vital role into what John Fossil was establishing. You know, they have C.J. Goodwin back. Kelvin Joseph is, of course, you know, the the sort of heir apparent to be that sort of gunner-type player, but he's also an unknown. You don't know what's going to happen with him, not only off the field, but also can he develop into a corner, not just be a second-round special teamer. You don't know if he's going to make it out of training camp. Also, you have Nishan Wright uncertain but they both play a special teams role and then you have sort of the draft class is supposed to fill the voids but maybe the majority of my uncertainty kind of comes from the kicker conversation mostly because I mean Jess and I we've talked about kicker constantly I feel bad because Tristan Viscaino is on the team John Fossil talked about how whoever comes in to compete is going to compete against him for the starting job but I just don't I don't see him as the answer and I think that the Cowboys know that and they're waiting but I don't know what they're waiting for, and that's the biggest thing. And John Fossil came out this week, and he, this is kind of a mix of what he said in a quote, but he said, anybody else on the earth who is not on a, on the team right now is under consideration. Yeah, that's a broad statement. I would I would hope so, uh, unless you're going to go. I'm guard- actually trying out for it next week. Yeah, I was going to say, unless you're going Guardians of the Galaxy, you're, you're finding somebody in outer space. Um, but he said, but we don't want to bring in a camp leg to get through camp and then basically save somebody until you know training camp comes in, not use them right now in the offseason programming before they go to Oxnard. And he said, we're still looking at the XFL, the USFL, veterans on the street and younger guys who haven't found their way. And again, just a painting with a broad brush there with, with hitting almost everything. And maybe it's a case they don't want to tip their hand to who they're looking at. He said it's obvious with the veterans that are available who those guys are that are like the, the big names. You know, you have the Mason Crosby, you have the Ryan Suckup, you have, of course, the Robbie Gold, who everybody wants to come to Dallas. But he also mentioned the possibility of Brett Maher coming back. And I, I was a big fan of that at the beginning. But then when you hear Jerry Jones come out, during the post-draft press conference when he's asked about it, and he said, we don't want a kicker with the yips. And it's sort of like making a joke tongue-in-cheek about Brett Maher and what happened in the playoffs. It's just, does Brett even want to come back to Dallas when he hears all those things? And I'm sure, again, all that stuff aside, if he comes back and it's a good situation, you can let that stuff go. But then the final part, younger guys who haven't found their way. Like, does that mean Jonathan Garibay is coming back? Like, I, I see that comment, that whole quote, and I just don't know what to do with it. So I, I'll ask you, am I crazy for thinking that I really don't know what's going on with special teams and that I think that a kicker should be on the roster, at least getting some work in with a new long snapper and, of course, Brian Anger as the holder? You're definitely not crazy. I, I don't I don't think I'm, I'm as concerned as you are, but it's not crazy to be concerned, especially because this became a story in that playoff game when all of a sudden Brent Maher had been solid all year suddenly misses, I forget how many kicks it was that he missed in a row, but he missed quite a few. Um, and so it, it's it's totally fair to be concerned about that, especially when the alternative is essentially just, eh, trust John Fossil, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. To be fair, he does seem to know what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, back when Brett Maher was brought in, everyone was, you know, the sky was falling. It was, we're never going to make a single kick. I can't believe we're bringing this guy in. And then not even a full season later, they were, you know, we were all just up in arms over how can you not bring him back? So I think um, for me, it's, I'm, I'm a little more willing to just say, well, John Fossil knows what he's doing. For me, I trust him. If he, if he's going to vouch for somebody, I trust what he's, what he's going to do, what his plan is. Even, you know, a year ago when 
you know, initially he said, well, Greg Zerline is fine. Like we, we believe in him. I was like, sure. If you, if you trust him, like I'll go with you on that. All the evidence says I shouldn't, but I'll trust you. Um, so I, I think also there's, there's an argument that I kind of subscribe to, which is that it can also almost be a good thing to not have a very reliable kicker because then you're not going to be put in a situation of having to settle for field goals. You're going to be a little more willing to go for it on fourth down. Um, and, and we kind of saw that a bit with, with both Greg Zerline before it really became a huge issue of him missing kicks. And then with Brett Maher, because he has such a huge leg, it's, you know, we're willing to settle for field goals in certain cases because we have two guys with really powerful legs and we're going to give them a shot. If, if it's the, the opposite and you have a guy that you don't necessarily trust in, especially from long distance, you're going to be a little bit more aggressive in trying to score a touchdown. And generally that's, you know, the best offensive philosophy is trying to score a touchdown and doing everything you can to make sure it ends in a touchdown and nothing else. So I kind of subscribe to that philosophy, which also makes me a little less concerned about special teams, but it it definitely will be something that I'll be paying attention to as we get started here. Well, and I think for me, because it was such a long off season last year with the whole kicker conversation, Liam Hyralahu was in Jonathan Garibay, of course, and it just went and bled out all the way until the final preseason game. And for me, it certainly makes kicker uh, an interesting conversation. I just look at it as it's sort of if you want to relate it to like a commitment in a marriage and a relationship. It's almost like, you know, the couple's going to get married at some point, but it takes 15 years for the guy to propose. It's like, can we just we know the end goal? We know it's going to be a veteran. We've heard it numerous times. Can we just get it over with? Uh, but I know there was also one player. Um, that I was seeing on on Twitter float around today of the USFL. I think he had five or six kicks um, from all different distances um, that ended up winning the game. He scored all the points uh, for for his team. I think it was the the Philadelphia team. So maybe that's a name that the Cowboys want to sign immediately, and then and then all of our problems are solved. And they already had success with one USFL player uh, on special teams and Kevontae Turpin. So maybe they could be two for two. Uh, but I just think right now, as it stands, like you said, it's not the biggest concern. It's sort of like the last thing that I would feel very comfortable with going into the season or training camp knowing that the reps are being taken there's going to be consistent communication on the special teams that this way it's not a problem heading into the year Um, but like you mentioned it's not the biggest worry in the world but when it's the only thing that I'm worried about on the Cowboys then I guess it amplifies itself right and um, one one thing that it does remind me of too is uh, a year ago you know Anthony Barr was kind of his name had been floated as a potential signing for the Cowboys then it kind of went quiet and then later on into the offseason program is when he actually you know came in had his tryout he actually signed with the team um and some people kind of made the joke there's probably some level of truth to it is he's a veteran he's old he doesn't want to be here for all the offseason program he wants to do his own thing and then you know show up when when the real work begins um I, I think that could potentially be a situation with guys like mason crosby robbie gold where you know they've been around for a very long time and both of them really are free agents for the first real time in their career. Right. I know Robbie Gold was technically a free agent before, but it was a very quick process. So they're just kind of, you know, they're enjoying their time and they're saying, let's just relax. Let's give our legs some break and we'll find a team. And there's plenty of teams that will need a kicker or we can always go to Dallas at the end. So I, I think that could be a situation where it's not necessarily the Cowboys aren't bringing someone in, but it's more so just the guys they want to bring in are not ready to sign yet. That could be it. Well, you definitely have lur- uh, lowered my worry uh, significantly. <laughs> and I did think about that too, where if they sort of have like a verbal, you know, like, Hey, you know, we're going to bring you in for a, a workout in August, you know, just like keep your leg ready, keep your leg warm, maybe even in July. 
And then if it works out, great. Enjoy a nice summer vacation with your family. You know, something like that. So I definitely agree. Uh, so your final point, ending again on a positive note, um, what do you got? What's your final commitment? End on a big bang. And then of course, I'll go to mine. But, you know, make it super positive. You're locked in for the entire season. Everybody's going to hold you to it. <laughs> my my final positive point, um, which I already kind of touched on a little bit earlier, is that the run defense is going to be solved it's going to be so much better than it was last year uh, and it's not just because of the mozzie smith pick although i am very excited about mozzie smith largely because he he was an elite run stopper at michigan he was just phenomenal at stuffing gaps he was great at snuffing out runs um but also i mean mid, midway through last season the cowboys went out and traded for jonathan hankins and hankins is the player that mozzie smith was in college like those are two very similar players they are huge space eaters they are run stuffers they redirect runs to the outside um and so i think you know with the cowboys their defense has been phenomenal under dan quinn really the only weakness has been either injuries which is true of any team or more specifically it's been their run defense there have been teams that too often have been able to run on them and specifically the 49ers two years in a row in the playoffs and they're already a run heavy offense and then they just completely exploited the Cowboys' defensive woes. So that was clearly something that they wanted to improve when they traded for Hankins. It was a reason why they worked quickly to bring him back, and then they were still prioritizing it in the draft when they bring in Mozzie Smith. So I think getting those two guys really fortifies the interior of that trenches, and then you know they also have guys on the edge that are now going to be in better position when those runs get redirected to them to be able to stop the run. So I think... You know, if, if you're still able to have a really fearsome pass rush, if you're upgrading your secondary like they did by bringing in Stephon Gilmore. And by the way, Jordan Lewis is also going to be coming back from injury and he'll yeah. be competing with Deron Bland. So I know everyone's really excited about Bland and rightfully so, but now you're going to have the really exciting rookie in the slot competing with the guy who's been around for a while, knows a thing or two, and has already been already proven to be pretty good in that role. So I think they're going to be really good as, as a pass defense yet again. And now they've taken that extra extra step to shore up their run defense, which could take a really great defense and make it even better if you can believe it. Uh, that's that's a great point, and I think even when you look at the Fajoko pick, you know your guy in the draft, like he's also really good against the run. And I know there was talk about moving him inside to three technique. He also talked about it, but I think if he could be that versatile piece, at least in year one where he could play the edge and he can also be inside, especially on rundowns, you know, you put him and Demarcus Lawrence on the edges, Mozzie Smith and and Jonathan Hankins in the middle. uh, It'd be hard to find a team that could kind of run through that defensive line, especially with the, uh, the tenacity that a Fajoko plays with. And I also look at an overshone where you have this sort of uh, read option that a Jalen Hurts would run, you know, with the Philadelphia Eagles. He's a springy, quick, twitchy player where he also isn't afraid to, to tackle, and he's really quick where I think in that sort of spy role that Donovan Wilson played last year and not only bringing him back especially to help the run, that's also a younger player where if he has something to prove to get on the field more often, they might have that plan where if Jaron Curse is more of going to be a, a you know pass defender, if Overshone's going to be more of the run guy, I think that that's a great player too. And it just adds to the defensive rotation like you're talking about where if that final piece to take the defense from good to great is the run defense, they certainly kind of made sure they hit every sort of box um, heading into the into the season. Right. And, and really what it comes down to is you've got a 
defensive mastermind in Dan Quinn. Yeah. And he has already shown many times that he can take guys and just put them in spots that you wouldn't even think to play them in. I mean, Micah Parsons obviously is the biggest example where, I mean, everyone thought he was an off-ball linebacker who can occasionally blitz. He, he goes down and he's, he's an edge rusher primarily, and he's already one of the very best defensive players in the entire NFL. Um, and, you know, you think about, like, Israel Mukwamu going from corner to safety back to slot guy in the playoffs in a pinch. J. Ron Curse had kind of bounced around the league and now has become the star safety in Dallas. So what they did in this draft – well, in free agency, they kept their players that they know are are ballers. And then in the draft, they went out and got a whole bunch of other guys that can pitch out in, in various different ways. And they gave Quinn a whole lot of different tools to work with, which is the best thing you can do when you have a guy like Dan Quinn is just give him a bunch of players with lots of traits that fit what he's looking for just on a philosophical level. And then say, here's your toys, go play and have fun. And last two years have proven you're going to get a great result so i'm really excited to see what he does with this new crop of players and i'm happy because usually in our pre-production jess and i try and keep things secret because i think in the moment you know it spurs a little bit of surprise and intrigue and if we talk about the same thing then it just amplifies the point but hammond and i we didn't talk about what we wanted to 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 say today and uh we didn't talk about the same thing so i think that's also awesome and it shows that the cowboys are are very versatile in everything that they're doing right now um and and similarly sticking with the run defense i'm going with the run offense and i'm fully committed to tony pollard and i think specifically i think he's going to be the linchpin uh to the success of the overall offense in 2023 maybe more so than a dak prescott and a cd lamb and i say that because mike mccarthy has talked about this run heavy attack he wants to put an emphasis on running the ball and whether it happens or not you know you have you brandon cooks you have cd lamb you have michael gallup we'll see what happens but i do think with the type of player that a tony pollard is Yes, he's taking over for Ezekiel Elliott. It's big shoes to fill, but he he showed us last year that he can be a guy. You know, he ended up getting into the Pro Bowl, and in the playoffs, if he stuck around in the San Francisco game, I do think that they win the game because if when they needed a play on offense, he was certainly picking up steam as they were going towards the end zone on that drive that he got injured. So I think you have to trust the rehab and the process. I know the injury will play a factor into when he kind of gets into training camp, when he can kind of start rolling around. But I do think for him, similar to Elliott last year, like you don't need to see him in the preseason. We know what Tony Pollard is. Just get him ready, get him healthy, keep him fresh for the regular season, and then just let him hit the ground running. It's not a similar running back situation to what the Cowboys had in 2015 and 2017 with Joseph Randall and Alfred Morris taking over when DeMarco Murray left and then Joseph Randall became the guy. He had the three touchdowns against Atlanta, but then after that, he just fell off a map. And then you have Alfred Morris, of course, taking over that season when Elliott was battling the suspension and, and you were living in a world without Ezekiel Elliott. The offense kind of took a little bit of a step back. And I look at Tony Pollard, and I think statistically, you could argue that he is one of the top backs right now in the NFL. I was taking a look at PFF and all the stats that they have. With running backs who had a minimum of 50% of the carries for their teams last season, Tony Pollard was first in the NFL in yards after contact per attempt with 3.82 yards. Third on that list was Derrick Henry. Sixth was Nick Chubb. And seventh was Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs, of course, was one of the best running backs in the league. And Tony Pollard, in that category at least, was better than him. If Pollard had 80% of the carries, there were only a few guys in that category who are sort of your traditional running backs, sort of phasing out. The Cowboys are using this two-back system. I think it's going to continue. I don't think Tony Pollard's going to be getting 80% of the carries, but if he did, uh, you have Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, 
Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, he would have been better than all of them in that category. And of course, you have to average out, you know, taking his carries and making it the 80%, but it's it's close to what they had with their numbers. Then you look at the the statistics of Tony Pollard was second in yards per attempt at 5.2 yards behind only Aaron Jones in Green Bay with 5.3. So you, when you look at the difference between number one and number two, he's right there with someone who's very well established in Aaron Jones. And of course, he had zero fumbles last year, just like Ezekiel Elliott. You know, he's good when it comes to carrying the football, protecting it. And the biggest question for Tony Pollard is if he is going to be the lead guy, can he be that third down back? How good is he in pass protection? Well, according to PFF, he had the second highest pass blocking grade at 75.3. And again, minimum 50% of the carries for last year, only behind Saquon Barkley at 75.5. So again, it's not a huge drop off where you look at the number one guy and you're like, okay, he's just the best pass protector in the league, similar to what Elliott used to be. And then number two is just way, way behind. There's not a huge separation there. And then also as a receiver, he dropped one pass last year and is sixth among backs uh, with a 75.7 PFF receiving grade behind Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, uh, Mixon in Cincinnati, and then Fournette, who was with Tampa Bay. So again, a lot of these sort of receiving backs sort of dual threat like a Tony Pollard. So all that to say... When you look at the stats, when you look at Tony Pollard and who he was for the Cowboys last year, trust that he is going to be the same player heading into this year. Mike McCarthy knows that he's coming off of injury. They're not just going to just run him into the ground this year unless he's fully healthy. But I think the Cowboys, they understand this dual back package. And maybe maybe you can have concern about that the second running back isn't on the roster. You know, there's going to be a, comp- a competition between Ronald Jones, Malik Davis, Rico Daddle even can get into the conversation. Uh, of course, Deuce Vaughn could be sort of that scat back if they want. But when you look at maybe Ronald Jones is that guy for the big back or a Malik Davis to somebody to develop. But when you look at how efficient Tony Pollard was for the Cowboys and when he was gone, even if he doesn't hit that 80% carry mark, I think he's still going to be a very efficient player for the Cowboys. You're going to see his statistics go up, and I think he's going to have an even better season because he's going to be relied on a little bit more, and I think he's up to the task. Yeah, I'm very, very excited to see what Pollard looks like in this new role, um, specifically because when you know Ezekiel Elliott was there, there was still, you know, there was still some level of kind of obligation of, well, we still got to give Zeke some carries. Yeah. Even when Pollard was having his great games as well. You know, Zeke is, Zeke is the $90 million running back. He was the fourth overall pick. Like, he's Ezekiel Elliott, right? Yeah. Like, everybody knows him. Everyone recognizes him. Like, we got to give him his carries. Um, and that's why he had so many touchdowns is because when they get inside the five, they were like, all right, Zeke, we're going to, you know, we're going to plow you in there and we're going to get the touchdown. Um, but I think it was very obvious by the end of the year that, he's just not what he once was. And that's the nature of the running back position. You take so much physical abuse and you're not going to hold up as well. And so with Pollard, you know, he's kind of in the reverse situation where he's been around for four years and he's had these really incredible flashes where he's shown off his athleticism, but because he's always been in a timeshare with Zeke Elliott, he hasn't really had as much tread on the tires just yet. So now we get to see him in that role where he's going to be the top dog um, and I think what you were saying about who's the, the next guy after that, I, you know, there's a very good list of options that the Cowboys get to pick from. And I think, you know, Ronald Jones has been around the league for a while. He probably figures to be the best option right now. Deuce Vaughn has a lot of kind of similar traits to Tony Pollard coming yeah. out of Kansas State. Um, so that's really exciting. I also think uh, their undrafted free agent, Hunter Lutke, um, who plays fullback, but he also plays running back. He can be kind of, he could be that short yardage guy. He can be someone who comes in and lead blocks. 
Um, they might even, there's been, I know there's been whispers online about maybe even having him be, you know, a jumbo tight end in certain situations. And he can be that, you know, pass blocking back in certain situations too. So they've got some options and, you know, they, they're in a good spot to where they can get into training camp. They can get into the preseason and just, you know, see who is going to be, you know, put their best foot forward. And, you know, there still does exist the op- the opportunity for Ezekiel Elliott to come back. He hasn't been signed yet. Yeah. You know, there's, there's whispers about maybe he's going to Tampa, but it doesn't seem like he's going to Tampa. Um, so, you know, as long as he's still out there, you know, say they go through preseason and nobody else looks good, they could always just go back and say, hey, Zeke, you want to come in? And, you know, you won't, you won't get paid as much. You won't play as much, but you'll at least play. Um, so I, I think they're probably in a good spot there of being able to figure out who is going to be that that next guy after Pollard. But I am very excited to see what he looks like when he has you know, when he when he's number one in the pecking order. Well, and this is something fans have been asking for for years. You know, especially even last year, um, not necessarily in 2022, but even in 2021, everybody wanted to see Pollard a little bit more. And maybe it was a Kellen Moore thing. Maybe Kellen Moore didn't know how to use him and use him to his advantages and. Now with Mike, and that's the thing. We don't know where the transition happened. Was it Kellen Moore coming in saying, okay, now let's finally use Tony Pollard? Or was it Mike McCarthy saying like, no, we need to use our explosive back a little bit more. So that's why when people say Mike McCarthy coming in, the the offense is going to take a step back. Well, what if he was the guy? And I I also, I was going to use this as a commitment to like Mike McCarthy. And like we were talking about when you mentioned the offense, he came in week two. When week one was a complete disaster, not only Dak didn't look too too good, but Kellen Moore was doing the triple reverse and all these things. And Mike McCarthy came in and said, you know, I, I settled him down pretty much and, and said that we went back into the to the to the to the room and we worked with Cooper Rush, making sure we amplify his skill set. And I think Mike McCarthy had a huge say in, in Cooper Rush's success and then the offense's success that season. So we need to just make sure that we're looking at both sides of the coin where it's not just always Kellen Moore. Mike McCarthy deserves some credit too. And if he's going to be using Tony Pollard to his advantage and and use him a lot more than what Kellen Moore did, then like you were saying, the sky's the limit for him this season. And it's going to be pretty exciting. Well, now I know you're talking crazy because we don't give credit to Mike McCarthy around here. (laughs) He only gets the blame when things go wrong. Yeah, it's funny how that works out that way. But you know what? It comes with the territory of being the the head coach of the Cowboys. And even Jerry Jones Mm -hmm. mentioned uh, tongue-in-cheek at the end of the press conference. He said, it's not the players here in Dallas. It's the coaches. So I guess maybe there's something to it. But uh, we're, we're out of time here. Halman, uh, I can't thank you enough for hopping on. Of course, uh, you know, you're always going to be the, the pinch hitter for us to come in and clutch and, and hit that 400-foot home run. Uh, but where could people follow you um, now that you're on this path to commitment, not only in, in life, but also uh, from your Cowboys commitments? This way, if people see that you have another Leighton Vander Esch tech, like, like, like me, I'm, I'm right there with you with everything that I said today. It's on the record. Um, so we'll be hand-in-hand hand throughout this process. But where could people follow you throughout the season? Yeah, people people can follow me on Twitter at underscore dh44 underscore, um, and I'll be you know giving all my thoughts on the Cowboys and and definitely singing the praises of Leighton Vanderesh every chance I get. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, it's a total 180. It's it's uh, time for change, time for renewal, and, and we we love that. So. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Brandon is right. And then, of course, with Jess, you can follow her on Twitter at, at Jess Navarro's underscore. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Writer's Block podcast. For David Howman, I am Brandon Laurie. We'll talk to you guys next week. And always remember, go Cowboys.
first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on home mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. 